Greetings and welcome to Southwinds Online. Thanks for joining us. My name is Jay Mills. I'm one of the pastors here at Southwinds Church, and I have the privilege of bringing today's message to you to kick off the new year. If you're like me, then at last Thursday evening, as the seconds ticked down and we transitioned from 2020 to 2021, we thought maybe that magically things would disappear, the frustrations of the past year, and everything would begin anew. But suddenly, and it didn't take long, we realized that wasn't the case. But we have good news as well. Jesus said this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But in John 16, he prepared us for the reality of our situation. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I mean, David wrote in Psalm 144 that he trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. And if a man after God's own heart needed to be trained thusly, then we can anticipate some struggles in our life as well. We enter the new year with uncertainty, of course, but we also enter the year as Christ followers, hopeful of what this year will bring and what God will do in these days ahead of us. You know, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, Jesus, as this part of the Sermon of the Mount, spoke about anxiety. There was some level of uncertainty to the people there as well. I believe that life is to be learned backwards and lived forward, so there's lessons that we can glean from the message that Jesus gave over 2,000 years ago. They're just as applicable today. If you would, follow along with me as I read from the New Living Translation version of those passages. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you will have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store in food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. As I look at the passage, I believe it breaks down into four sections. The first is questions Jesus asked. And then the second is reminder that Jesus gave. Third, commands that Jesus issued. And fourth, a pathway that Jesus provided. With regard to the questions Jesus asked when he asked them that day, I believe they were asked rhetorically because he was speaking to a very large gathering. At the same point in time, I think it would be wise for us today to insert our name before each of these questions so we can imagine that Jesus is speaking specifically to you and to me, which of course he is in every part of Scripture. If we look at these questions, first one, verse 25 I insert my name as an example. Jay, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? The second question, verse 26. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? The third one, verse 27. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? 
And the last one is found in verse 30, J. Why do you have such little faith? All four questions really deal with the topic of needs. Needs, it's about how they're identified, how they're prioritized, and how they're satisfied. And if we take all the needs and we bundle them together, we can find out that it really breaks down into only two categories. We all have a need for security and a need for significance. With regard to security, look at verse 31. Jesus summarizes the three primary sustenance needs. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? You know, basic necessities were a legitimate concern for the people that were in the audience that day listening to Jesus and to the audience that Matthew was writing to when he penned these words into Scripture. Because most of the audience was very poor, very poor, more poor than you and I, and they were in a position where their daily existence depended upon them scrounging around and finding scraps for food so that they could maintain a some decent standard of living for themselves. So Jesus' words were even more powerful because he said that they should not even concentrate on these basic matters of security and sustenance. This would be a radical turn of trust and faith in God rather than placing their faith in themselves. And when Jesus talked about the lilies of the field, he was using an object lesson. And I want you to know that even today, along the hillside of the Sea of Galilee, there are beautiful flowers there. So when Jesus spoke about the lilies of the field, they must have been encouraged because they saw the beauty all around them and they understood what Christ was saying with regard to the needs that they had. With regard to our needs and with regard to the needs that Jesus spoke of to that audience, There is encouragement found in God's word. In Deuteronomy chapter 29, verses 5 and 6, God says this, During the 40 years that I led you through the wilderness, your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. You ate no bread and drank no wine or other fermented drink. I did this so that you might know that I am the Lord your God. I don't know if you're in a wilderness today, but if you are, I want to assure you that God will take care of all of your needs. Scripture also enlightens us that we need to have a proper perspective when it comes to these needs of sustenance. Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8, Paul says this, so then if we have food and clothes, that should be enough for us. You know, it, from the beginning, we always have learned that there's a difference between what we want and what we need. We have an insatiable appetite. We always want more, but we would be wise to regard the words of the Rolling Stones as being true. We can't always get what we want, but the Lord will make sure we get what we need. We have God's provision and his protection. And in Isaiah, we read this promise. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not get burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. We have significance through our Heavenly Father as well. You know, when Sean and Ricky McAvoy walked into a Goodwill store in 2014 in Asheville, North Carolina, little did they know that their purchase would provide a worthwhile investment for their future. They looked at the clearance rack and they came upon a letter sweater. It was emblazoned with a letter from West Point. And it had a tear and cut in it, but as the saying goes, one man's junk is another man's treasure. So they purchased the item, took it home, and didn't think about it again until about a year later. 
they were watching a documentary on TV when all of a sudden they saw what seemed to be the same sweater on a legendary person that they saw on the television. So they wondered, and they went and grabbed the sweater, and when they looked under the lapel, there stitched was the name of the person that the documentary had featured. Well, they took the item, and they sent it to the Heritage Auction House in Dallas, Texas. And they took a moment, they looked at the material, they looked in the manner that it was stitched, and they authenticated that, yes, that item at one time belonged to the historic individual, Vince Lombardi, to whom the Super Bowl trophy has been named after. They spent 58 cents on that item, and when they sold it in an auction one year later, they received over $43,000. And here's the key point from this example. The value was not ascribed to the sweater. The value was ascribed to whom the sweater was for. I want you to know that our value exists because of whom we were made for. He is the owner, and he is the collectible of infinite worth, and we have infinite worth because he gave his lone son as a sacrifice for us at Calvary. I like what Michael Wilkins says. Humans are the crown and ruler of God's creation. Our needs will receive appropriate attention. I believe that day the Lord was putting all the cards on the table. And if you looked at the questions that were being asked, really they could be summarized into one question. Can the Lord be trusted? That's the question we need to ask ourselves with what he says he will do and who he says he is. In the wilderness, the Israelites did not learn that God would be their provider by reading about it. They had to experience it firsthand, and such is our case as well. We must experience that our needs will be fulfilled firsthand through the Heavenly Father. I mean, at one point in time, the Israelites who had great grasp of Scripture must have known that in Genesis 18, 14, the question was asked, is there anything too difficult for God? And of course, the question is no. But what they had to experience as they came out from Egypt was they had to experience the pillar of fire by night, the pillar of cloud by day, and then trekking across the Red Sea, the dry ground, which once was covered with water. Every day, the Lord would cater to their needs through the wilderness and remind the Israelites that he was the great provider. The lessons that we learn from this passage is that the Lord is who he says he is, and he will take care of each and every one of our needs as we move forward in 2021. The second section is the reminder that Jesus gave, and we find it in verse 32. It says, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. In verse 8 of the same chapter, Jesus said the same thing. And I always like to say repetition breeds reinforcement, and reinforcement is the mother of success. There's a reason why Jesus emphasized it twice in just a short period of time, because he knew we have to sometimes get repetitive lessons to be able to ingrain them in our being. Every parent knows this to be true as well. Who among us has not said to our child, I'm getting tired of telling you the same thing. Well, thank God he does not get tired of telling us the same thing. I thank him for his grace. I thank him for his mercy in my life. Third section, commands that Jesus gave. You know, there's four commands that are a part of this passage, but there's only one that's repeated more than once. Verse 25, this is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Verse 31, so don't worry about these things. And guess what's coming in verse 34? So don't worry. The first command is don't worry. This is a matter of obedience. 
If Jesus seems to be preoccupied with worry and anxiety, there's good reason. He knew that we would struggle with it during the course of our lifetime. A recent cover story in Time Magazine provides evidence that, as it quotes in there, anxiety is a biological, emotional, and psychological response to current national and world affairs. It is high. More than ever, people are worrying themselves sick. And believe it or not, this was written before 2020. Conversely, in her book, Total Truth, Nancy Piercy says this. She promotes the benefits of living within a biblical worldview. She says that today the facts are in. Science itself confirms that biblical principles work in the real world, which is strong evidence that they are true. Psychiatry studies have shown that those who are more religious tend to have better health. In addition, it's been found that religious belief leads to better physical health as well. There are lower rates of virtually everything from cancer to hypertension to cardiovascular disease. As a matter of fact, religious people also recover quicker. Christianity correlates with lower rates of social pathologies such as crime, drug abuse, teen pregnancy, and family breakdown. But listen, the enemy knows these stats as well. And Satan, I believe, wants to use in his arsenal of psychological weapons to attack us, worry, anxiety, I believe is his preferred instrument of destruction. The things that produce anxiety are different from you and I, but there's a commonality as where, well, and I don't know if, you know, your concerns have to do with relational matters or financial or educational or occupational, whatever they may be, they may be medical concerns, but we can break them down even simpler. You know, as a college football coach, I always scouted my opponent, and I did that because I wanted to understand how they would attack me so that I could put up front counterattacks. I could keep my defenses up and maneuver in a way to bring victory. And God does the same thing with us as well. If we understand what we're up against, we can defend ourselves. We need to understand this, that in John 10, 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. So what are the sources of anxiety that may be trying to disrupt us and cause us to lose that focus on the abundant life that we've been promised? Well, there's four. They are relationships, consequences to circumstances, resources, and time. With regard to relationships, you know, we have anxiety on behalf of others, and we have anxiety on our own behalf. With regard to others, we have family, we have friends, we have loved ones that we care about. But we also are reminded in the parable of the lost sheep that Jesus said that he cares, yes, about the 99, but that one that's lost, he goes after it. We can count on the Lord as we pray to him and release those loved ones to him that he will go after and he will operate in their best interest as well. As, as well as we know that Jesus came so that all might be saved. On our behalf, we might be fearful what others might do to us. That could be a concern and we operate under the illusion and the false impression that they have control of what happens to us in our lives. Everything goes by the throne. They do not have control. It is, once again, an illusion. And we're reminded in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, that fear of man will prove to be a snare, but trust in the Lord will keep you safe. There are things that even if we're wronged, the Lord can make right. We are to do our part and have our responsibility and trust God to do his part. Our part when we're wronged is this. Luke says in chapter 6, verses 27, 28, but I tell you who hear me, 
Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And then we trust the Lord to do his part. And what does he say in verse 8 or 28 of chapter 8 of Romans, a verse we like to quote? And God will make sure that all things work together for the good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And on more than one occasion, I've told my wife that from Romans 1, verse 12, that what has happened to me, brothers and sisters, has actually served to advance the gospel. And isn't that what it's really all about is us, as his disciples, advancing the kingdom? Circumstances. And the consequences for those circumstances are the second source of anxiety. Things that are outside of our comfort zone. You know, if I put a 12-foot long 2x6 up on this stage and I put it above a couple cinder blocks and asked you, hey, who would walk from one end to the other? Almost everyone out there that's hearing this and watching this would say, I would do that. That would be simple and easy. However, I take the same 12-foot long 2x6 and if I suspend it between two 100-story buildings and ask you to walk from one side to the other, now it's a different story. But why? The same board. What's changed is the perspective. But we've got to remind ourselves that God's in all of it. And I'm not saying that we not, should not assess risk in the things that we do. But what I'm also saying is that there's a reason why the two most frequented words as a phrase that is spoken in the Old Testament is fear not. In fact, if you take the entire Bible, there's approximately 365 commands of fear not in the Bible. That's not a coincidence. It can't be. What it is, is it's a reminder of an assurance that every day of the year, no matter what you go through, God cares enough about us, he loves us enough to insert himself into that equation of our lives and make a difference, to make things turn out for the good as we trust in him. You know, many of you know Tim Murray, one of our church family members, and, and I asked him if I could share this this morning, he gave me permission. Tim has been through an awful lot and his family, Valerie, and so forth. And many of you have prayed for him and God has him on a road to recovery and we give thanks. But I want you to know, at one point in time, Tim, as we talked, and we talked multiple times while he was in the hospital, and we prayed together as well, but his life hung in the balance on more than one occasion. As we talked, I was so impressed with Tim and how he handled things. And one day, I felt led to share with him this passage from Revelation Chapter 2, verse 10, and it reads as such. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Here's the lesson from this, and here's what Tim and I talked about. Is that I'm not to tell him to hang in there. I mean, that's my common tendency, and probably many of us have said that, and we've had good intentions, but the command is not, hey, hang in there. The command is be faithful, remain faithful. We need to remember that the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, verse said, 6 said this, without faith it is impossible to please God because everyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards everyone who seeks him. I'm so thankful for the example that Tim and Valerie Murray give us today, a place in their faith in Jesus Christ, no matter what. No matter what. And God has extended Tim's time on this earth, and we're grateful as well. Please continue to keep them in your prayers and watch what God continues to do. It's just simply amazing. The third thing that can cause anxiety is resources. First, 
gaining resources. Believe it or not, the Holman Stress Scale uh, basically assigns numbers to events in our lives that can occur that cause stress, and some of them are additions. You know, an additional family member, another mouth to feed. A job promotion means more responsibility. But while stress can come from uh, things that are gained, for most of us, Anxiety occurs because we have a fear of loss or what we have the potential to lose. And if that's the case, I want you to be cautious because that means if you feel that way, that whatever was entrusted to you as a blessing is now becoming a curse. You know, nothing was supposed to last till the end. It was just provided to us for a season. And we don't know what the length of that season is to be. And if we start focusing on the gift rather than the giver, then we're being unfaithful. I'll give you an illustration. This father had a young girl. She was just a little girl, and she had a necklace that she loved. Probably resembled something that her mom had. And she loved and valued that possession more than anything else. She wore it all the time. She wore it to bed. Well, one day the father said to the daughter, he said, Do you trust me? And the daughter said, Yes, Daddy, I do. He said, Give me your necklace. The daughter reached for her neck, almost like she was afraid the dad was going to take it off of her neck. He said, no, no, Dave, this is mine, my necklace. And she walked away. The next day, the father did the same thing. Do you trust me? Yes, daddy, I trust you. Knowing what was coming next now, give me your necklace. The daughter refused again. This happened for about a week, and at the end of that period of time, the father asked the question again, and the daughter reluctantly and teary-eyed Handing her, handed her father the necklace. The father took the necklace, reached into his pocket, and pulled out a beautiful new necklace with real pearls to it. You see, sometimes the thing that we regret losing is standing in the way to the new thing that God wants to give you today. And it's better than the fake necklace that you had. We are to stand before the Lord with open hands. It doesn't belong to us. And when we start to curl those fingers, we've got an issue with idolatry. We have placed something above the Lord. Remember Abraham and Isaac? Maybe it's just a test and it will be given back to you. Or maybe something better is in your future. Finally, time. Warren Wiersbe says this. It is often said that we are continually being crucified between two thieves, the regrets of yesterday and the worries about tomorrow. You know, in our past, our past can haunt us. We're fearful of whatever has happened there will happen again, that history will repeat itself, and we don't want it to occur because there was pain in the past. But your past wasn't meant to last. We turn to Isaiah verse, chapter 43, verses 18 and 19, and we read, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. I like what Wayne Gretzky, the hockey great, said. I skate to where the puck is going to be, not where it's been. With regard to the future, there's a fear of the unknown. You know, a friend of mine used to always say, happiness is being able to forget yesterday. And I chuckle every time I heard it. But I might add, happiness is also preventing ourselves from predicting the future. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Only God knows, and guess what? The good news is he's already out there in the future as well. Max Lucado says we need to avoid the what-ifs and the howls. What if the man that I marry snores? How well I'd be able to pay for our child's college education? 
I like what the Lord said to the prophet Micah in chapter 7, verse 15. We read, As in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them marvelous things. If we spend time in the past, then what we should really do is reflect on the blessings that came in the past so we remember that God plans to do marvelous things in your future and in my future as well. Command number two, found in verse 33, we are commanded to seek the kingdom of God above all else. Jesus is speaking about priorities, and this should be our daily priority Our own efforts, and through our own efforts, we try to control our environment, but we're not going to be very successful doing that. A friend of mine says problems are meant to be solved, but it doesn't necessarily mean by us. We need to go to one who has expertise in order to do it. And I think of a story from years ago when I lived in Charleston, South Carolina. In my backyard, I had a large tree, and it was evident that the tree was now dying, and I had a large branch. I mean, a huge branch had extended from this tree over my house, And it was very possible that if a good storm came, and by the way, they always come in the fall in Charleston, South Carolina, either a tropical storm or a hurricane, it would snap off and go through my roof. So it was going to be expensive for me to cut that down, so I decided to take matters into my own hands. I asked my neighbor Jason, who lived next to me, to help me out. We put together a strategy. We put a ladder up there. We put hoisted above a chain, a rope, tied it around the branch that we were going to cut down and visualize that we would make a cut here and then lower it safely, that branch, to the ground. But before we did that, all of a sudden it hit me, hey, let's ask Hugh. Hugh Denton lived three houses down, and Hugh, I remembered, grew up on a tree farm. I thank God how he orchestrates things in our lives, and also, just a reminder, If at all possible, always, before anything significant, seek counsel. So I'm walking with Hugh from his house to my house, and and I'm explaining to him the rationale and what we were trying to do. And I'll never forget, as we walked along the side of my house, just as we were about to clear and be able to see the back and the tree, immediately Hugh looked up and said, nope. It took him that much time to say nope. Everything we had strategized was wrong. We were going to cut that branch and it was going to come through my roof and did do what I was concerned that a storm might do. We need to surrender everything to the Lord. We need to let him choose. He has the expertise. You and I don't have it for every matter. We are extremely limited. To paraphrase all all state, you're in good hands with the Lord. The third command, which continues in verse 33, is this, live righteously. Now, I'm not talking about imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness occurs when we profess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's one and done. I'm talking about imparted righteousness. Imparted righteousness occurs as we grow spiritually. It occurs as we strive for perfection as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Chapter 5, verse 48 of Matthew. It comes and occurs through acts of righteousness. Chapter 6, verse 1 says the same thing. And finally, the fourth command is this. It's found in verse 34, and I like the message version, so I'm going to read from that. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now, and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. In other words, keep your mind where your body is. Don't drift to the past. Don't drift to the future. Before Joshua led the Israelites across the Jordan River. He said this. 
he told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. We are to focus on what God has called us to do today and then trust him to do those amazing things tomorrow. And that brings us to the fourth and final, what I like to call coaching point from today's passage, the pathway that Jesus provided. In verse 32, it says this, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Our response is to be simply this, to be different than the world's response. We are to think differently. We are to act differently. We are to be consecrated, as Joshua said. First, we are to keep our testimony. You know, I love the story of Ruth. And when I read the book of Ruth, one verse stands out more than any other. It's chapter 3, verse 11, and it says this. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. You know, I think again about Proverbs 22.1, which says this, A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. And that's what Ruth had. She had a great reputation. But how did it come? Blessings came through troubles. I mean, remember, Ruth lost her husband, traveled to a foreign land, and was literally trying to scrap some morsels from wheat particles that were left behind in a field so that her and her mother-in-law would be able to survive on a daily basis. But what God used it for was amazing. He used her for the lineage of Christ. He used her to establish a reputation amongst the townspeople, and he's using you and I today to make a difference and to give us a platform in which we could advance that gospel message. See, what happens about you and I is not just about us. There is a reverberation, a ripple effect. I mean, the epicenter of an earthquake receives the biggest jolt, obviously, but we all know that you feel the vibration for hundreds and hundreds of miles. Others might think that they have control, but really God is in control and he wants us to have the right mindset. It's an issue of the mind. There's a process that brings progress. Good or bad, what happens in the mind happens in time. So we must transform our minds, and that's our quest and the pathway that Jesus provides. You see, there's a link between the heart, the wellspring of emotions and feelings, and our mind. You know, human nature is this. I feel a certain way, so that produces thoughts, and then I act on those thoughts because actions are always preceded by thoughts, and thoughts, quite frankly, are often preceded by feelings. Let me give you an example. If someone punches me, I may feel embarrassed, I may be feel hurt, I may feel angry. And because I feel those things, my human nature says, I want to respond, I want to act, and what I'll probably do is retaliate by throwing a punch. Because I think that will make me feel good. Feelings, thoughts, action. But we are to be transformed, we are to be like our Savior. And what does that mean? Romans 12, 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We are to think differently. We are to take captive those thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. We think differently will lead to different actions, and the feelings will come. How are we to think? Well, Paul gives us an idea. 
In Philippians 4, 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I think I should forgive this person because we know we're called to do it. I don't feel like doing it, but I think I should do it. My actions then are going to be to forgive and choose not to throw the punch and the feelings will come later. Think, act, feel. Our society is driven by feelings, but we know this too. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus has walked a mile in our shoes. He's been there, done that, and he gets it. We can count on him to empathize in our scenario. When you feel anxious, apply the power of God's word. Just a couple verses earlier from the verse I just quoted, Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If we want to think differently, we must act differently. And Paul says that means we need to pray and that means we need to be express gratitude, be thankful. When the rubber meets the road, we get to choose our provider. Is it going to be God or is it going to be worry? You know, the Bible is written over 1,500 years in three different continents, in three languages, by more than 40 authors. But the thing that's amazing is the common thread from start to finish, the consistency. And one consistent thing that we read is that every time people place their faith in the Lord, no matter what the circumstances, their faith was rewarded. And so will your faith be as well. The crisis was either averted, it was overcome, or utilized for a greater purpose. For he has said, I will never under any circumstance desert you or give you up nor leave you without support nor will I in any degree leave you helpless nor will I forsake or let you down or relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. Happy New Year. Don't worry. The best is yet to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this new year. We thank you for the hope that we have. We know that there's uncertainty, but we also know that we can experience your love, your security that you provide, your sustenance, your significance in us today and every day. We place our hope and our trust in you. We know you are who you say you are. We know you will do what you say you've done. You have a vested interest in us and into each and every one of our family members, and our loved ones as well. We pray that we would honor you today, that we would not worry, that we would not choose anxiety, that we would choose to place our faith in you on a daily basis, no matter the circumstances, no matter the relationships, no matter the time, Father, no matter anything that comes our way. We trust it all to you, and we look forward to you building through this blessings from troubles, testimony that we can share of your goodness, of your grace, of your mercy in 2021 and every day that you give us or year afterwards. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
Thank you for joining us today. Just want to remind you again that on Sunday mornings, weather permitted, that we have service outside on our courtyard at 10 a.m. And we hope you choose to join us on a regular basis there as we worship the Lord together. Have a great year.